Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Continuing on from like last week, you know, we concluded our series on Jonah. And I shared at the start, and I shared it again this morning, that the tide is turning. I believe the tide is turning. That we, God is bringing about something new. And it's time for us as a church to step up. And do we believe in what God is doing? Do we believe that God is bringing about something new? Are we ready for it? And um, I think yesterday, our AOG Zone Day, I was just, I was a jitterbug. That's the best way I can explain it. As we were worshipping, as different messages were being shared and things, I was sitting there in my seat, oh, I could just feel this enthusiasm building up within us, thinking, yes. Because what they were saying were resonating with my spirit as well, and I was believing this is right. We are moving into something new. And so the message that I'm sharing, I mean, I've entitled, if you're taking notes, then you, there's no PowerPoint. Sorry, I couldn't prepare a PowerPoint in a few hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm letting you all down here, aren't I? My goodness. You know what this means? It means you actually have to get your physical Bible out. If I haven't prepared it, it's not behind me. Um, but what, I've, what I'm bringing today is I've entitled Mind Our Posture. Do you remember this? I see your faces lighting up here. Mind our posture. Now, when we, we're going to be looking at a message that Jesus gave to his disciples, but before we do that, let me just share a little bit of backstory here and just a little bit of a prelude to what I'm sharing this morning. But when we look to Jesus, when we look to his encounters, when we look to his instruction, sermons, and more that recorded and preserved throughout Scripture for our benefit, we see he taught from a perspective that was counter the culture, almost counter the world at the time. And when we read Scripture, even today, I think we see that challenge, don't we? It's almost counter the culture or counter the world, a call to live a way that he's instructed. And the way that I would describe this is like a pendulum, right? Have you ever seen one of those big grand clocks? Big clocks, and they've got this big pendulum that ticks, tocks. We've got one at home. And our parents, every now and again, they'll wind it up and make sure it's still working. And then suddenly we realize what a bad idea that was because it's so loud and noisy. But it, at the bottom of the base of the clock, you see this pendulum swinging like this, tick-tock, like this. And what the way I see it is on one side, you've got this worldly culture, but on the other side, you've got what's called the kingdom culture. And I think that these are in conflict. And it can be in conflict with us even in the church where we swing between either side of this pendulum. Sometimes we want to move with the world, but then we see this call to live by the kingdom. And we can almost pendulum between the two. And Jesus came to the earth and taught the truth, not a truth, the truth. To point those who would listen, those who would believe, to kingdom-mindedness. A kingdom mentality. And that's what we're going to look at today, is we're going to look at one such instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples. I'm still going to hold you in limbo. I'm not going to take you there just yet. 
But just to give you, it's almost like one of those game show moments, okay? I'm going to give you the backstory, and then you're kind of going to guess where we're going to be reading in scriptures. Like, how well do you know your Bible? But the background to the, the situation that I'm bringing is um, what we're going to read, it occurred after what's called the transfiguration of Jesus. If you know what the transfiguration of Jesus, he took a few of his disciples up on the mount and revealed his spiritual godly state to them. And after this, he also revealed to his disciples collectively that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be betrayed. It was imminent. And when you read about all the encounters in Scripture and the disciples that walked with Jesus, they had seen many things, mind-blowing things. They experienced so many different moments, all inspired by the wonder of Christ, the wonder of Jesus. Yet they still had much to learn despite their first-hand experience. I wish I was the disciples in that moment. Can you imagine being in there? I was going to say shoes, but it's the sandals or whatever they wore on their feet at the time. Can you imagine being in their place, walking with Christ, seeing what they were seeing, witnessing what they were witnessing, yet they still didn't fully com- couldn't com- fully comprehend it. And of course they couldn't. It was beyond their imagination, beyond what they, it didn't make sense. It's like, how is this possible? The disciples understood who Jesus was. They had just heard from Christ in this moment that he would be betrayed, would be killed, but then would be raised on the third day. This is the context behind what I'm about to share. And what we, will, what we read in Scripture when this situation occurred was it filled the disciples with grief. They walked with Jesus. He was the coming king, the Messiah before him, before them. But then he said that they, he was going to be betrayed. And it filled them with grief. And they, they were almost afraid to ask Christ about what he had just shared with them. And this scenario, which I'm about to share, but not long to wait, scenario that I'm about to share, it reveals that despite all the disciples have witnessed, everything that they had encountered, the so-called faithful followers of Christ still missed the big picture. Almost this pendulum effect, emotion, their kingdom mentality, but there's a conflict between what they could see and perceive and understand. And so, in your, script, in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read from verses, verses 1 to 5. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my own name welcomes me. 
Jesus then would go on to explain the consequences to those who cause those who believe in his name to stumble. But you see this concept Jesus was sharing with his disciples, become like little children. And as I was sharing last week, as I concluded our Jonah series, is that Jonah had a calling from God to speak to the people of Nineveh. It was his ambassadorial calling to go. But he had abandoned that calling because he still had hatred, he still had anger to the people, he couldn't fully comprehend what God was asking of him. Challenged him. And you and I, when we come to a saving faith in Christ, we become Christ's ambassadors on the earth. And as his ambassadors, we are called to serve him humbly, to go and do as he says go, to say as he says say. When he says do this, we do it. We are called to serve humbly. And I would say this is counterculture. It's kingdom mentality, but when you look at our the world that we live in today, it speaks a whole different thing. It's about, often it's about upholding yourself. How high can you become? Those with the most money, they, are the way, they will be the most successful. Building your own prestige, making your name higher. Making, you see in, in some... Um, establishments, you know, you have statues erected of so-called famous people and their little tablets and tablets remembering them for years upon years upon years. Quite often it's about how big can you make yourself? But as followers of Christ, we are called to say, look how big our God is. It's a different mentality. It's not about look how holy I am, it's about look how holy he is. And how, and he, through him, you can be made holy. And so only a couple of points to share. The first one being is evaluate what we are seeking. We need to evaluate what we are seeking, especially when we come before God. We see a similar encounter in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, verses 33 to 35. So they came to Capernaum, and when he, this is Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, these are the disciples, they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. What a challenge. Whoever wants to be first must be last. And when I, was, when I read over this passage, and when I read over Jesus' challenge and question, it almost causes you to evaluate yourself. When I come before God, what am I asking? What am I seeking him for? What is my motive in approaching God? Is it all about me or is there more to it? 
But I want, I want to be clear on what I'm saying here. It's important we approach God. And when we are walking through difficulty, we seek him. We press into him. Say, Lord, may you, may you guide me through this storm. It's, there's humility in that process. But as we saw in the disciples, they were asking something very different. Who would be the greatest in your kingdom? It's a different focus here. And when I look at the question that they were raising to Jesus, I think they were asking the wrong question or dwelling on the wrong aspect. There was this pendulum in their thinking. Again, back to that clock, the pendulum swing in motion. A concern about what their own status would be. Almost what's in it for us? What will we receive? Who will be the greatest in your kingdom? And likewise, I think for us as a church, we have to be careful that we do not come before God with a prideful agenda. It's a challenge. What are we asking God? What are we seeking God? The disciples at that time, they had an eagerness to reign in Christ's kingdom, but a reluctance to labor and suffer for him. The king was here. The Messiah was here. Jesus, you're here. Let us reign with you. Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom, Lord? But he called them to serve as he had served, to humble themselves. Whereas they were, fo- they were focusing on the end goal, the, the not yet now. And he was saying, you need to become last. You need to serve. In other passages of scripture, we read how Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me must humble himself, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I think if we're honest, sometimes we can have the desire in us to want the not yet promises of God now. I want it now. I want to see it now. Sometimes we have to walk through a battlefield, hardship, difficulties, challenge, the valley, even climbing up a mountain, whatever analogy you want to use, we have to walk through it for his purpose. Now Christ, in his response to the disciples, he brings what I would say is a, a counterculture response by presenting them with a child. And before we look at that, we see in another scenario, he addressed the Pharisees. These Pharisees were teachers of the law. And Jesus states these often quoted words in Matthew 23, 12, for whoever exhorts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exhorted. You see the switch he does there. Whoever exhorts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exhorted. When I, again, when we look at the world around us, there are so many people striving to be first, to be the top of the litter, the top of the pile, to have their name known, to be easily identified, the red carpet rolled out for them. 
And Jesus is essentially saying that those who don't seek to elevate themselves are first in God's eyes. You are humbling yourself. You're serving me. You're not serving yourself, but you realize that by serving me is leading you into the greatest life. Even by living for Christ, I believe the church can have this pendulum mindset. We can allow the wrong thoughts, motives, or ambitions to distort a view of what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. And a quote from Tom Wright, he says, if we think that by following Jesus, we will enhance our own prestige, our sense of self-worth, then we're very unlikely to hear what God is actually saying. What is it we're seeking when we come before God? What is it we're seeking? And we, when we look at the church as a whole, We've got the rise in what's called celebrity pastors. The ever-increasing hip church bands and musicians. I don't, we're not, I don't believe we're hip church bands at Centre Church. Everyone now is a motivational speaker, right? Yet, when I look closely, I think there are fewer kingdom proclaimers. It's great to come to church and be motivated to be like, you can do this, you can do that, you can do this. But the kingdom, the kingdom proclaimers would also challenge the church, saying that it's going to be difficult to walk with God. It's not going to be easy. But when you're willing to suffer for him, when you're willing to walk the hard road, the narrow road for him, Proclaiming his name above all names, it leads into great life in him. Sometimes our minds just cannot comprehend that. I hear it so often. I've heard it often. Even in churches, and I say churches, it's a broad statement, but I've heard it said, God loves you just the way you are. God loves you just the way you are. And in hearing this, I'm thinking, great, I don't have to do anything. I'm fine. I can keep walking. I can do what I want to do. God loves me just the way I am. But what I believe it should be stated is, God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us where we're at but wants to transform us into who we're meant to be in him. That's the love of God. So what are we seeking when we come before him? What are we seeking when we press in in prayer before him? And so we come back to this example. Like I said before, it's going to come back round to it. Jesus presents the disciples with a child. And it's a challenge for us to learn to live as children. I find it amazing when you're a, when you're a kid, you're so quick to grow up. Yeah? Have you had that when you were a child? It's like, I can't wait to grow up. My parents are so mean to me. <clears throat> they keep on like, giving like, these rules. I have to wash up and stuff like that. It's not fair. 
I want to grow up. I want to do what I want to do. And then you grow up, you're thinking, I wish I was a kid. (laughs) It's too hard, this world to live in, isn't it? But what Jesus did in setting a child forward as an example for all adults to follow was actually shocking in his day. In his time, it was shocking what he did. People of the ancient Near East regarded children as inferior to adults. Children did not receive the consideration that adults enjoyed until they reached adult status. And Jesus again uses a similar example in Mark 10, verses 14 to 15, once again addressing his disciples who rebuked those who were bringing their children to Jesus. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Again, in that time, shocking. And when we come before God, when we put our lives in his hands, he endows us with authority and the responsibility to go and do likewise. To go and do, he says do, to preach the word, to make disciples. And if we're not careful, we can misuse this authority and responsibility. We can misuse it. Disciples, they were saying, when these children, parents were bringing their children to Jesus, to say, no, no, take them away. Jesus said, no, let them come to me. And I think in the church, we can say, what are you doing here? No, 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 no. You need to sort yourself out before you come to church. You need to come and do this before you do this. And I think Jesus would say, let them come to me. We are to go to share the news, to share, share to people, you know what? God, God does love you, yes. But he wants to transform you. He wants to show you who you're meant to be. Will you come to him? Will you come to him? And so when I look at children, I, I don't have my own children, so I have to look to my godson, Micah, a lot. Um, Micah Leo, he's a, well, he's a character, isn't he, Alex? I have to look to him and just be like, okay, what are the qualities of a little child? Well, they're very straightforward. What you see is what you get often. I want it now. Give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, they're very straightforward. You know what you're going to get. They are so dependent on their parents. They're so dependent. Even so dependent on even those bigger than them, right? I have no blood relation to Mikey Leo, yet he would happily let me carry him, walk him around, play with him. He has so much dependency on me and trust in me. They do not, children do not strive for honour or power. They don't strive for honour or power, they just want to play. You imagine a child say, saying, saying, it's all, oh, I'm the king. Well, they may be playing around like that, I'm the king, like this, but they're not, they're playing, they're not striving to be the name above all names, no. They're innocent. Humble, trusting, loving, sincere.
Children have little concern about their own personal prestige. How does a child receive something? I see Micah do this. Give it to me. They hold out their hands. A child is helpless and cannot earn anything. They cannot pay money for what he or she wants. A child simply trusts that what he or she will need will be given to them. So Jesus' teaching to us, that we see even to the disciples, is what I would call an oxymoron. It's, an, it's, it's ironic, right? Be wise like children. Right? Be wise like children. I think as an, the older we get, the less childlike we become, right? I think the more we learn the less we're willing to be teachable. We think we have it all together. Check my, I have to check myself constantly. It's almost like we learn so much information and then we come into like this thought process, like this is it, that's it, this is it, that is it. But I think we still need to be humble and be willing to be challenged, to be taught something new, to depend on God Learn from him. Learn from his word. Be challenged by his instruction. Be willing to say, I don't have all the answers. But I know someone that does. And that's all that matters. In the Aramaic language, which Jesus spoke at the time, the word for servant and child is actually the same or similar. And it meant to be a servant or a disciple. So when it brings a whole different meaning to that passage, become like children, it's almost like, become my servant. Become my disciple. To be a child is to be a follower of God. To allow him to take the lead and do as he says. It can be so easy it can be so easy. The more we learn to understand of God, to point fingers at others' mistakes, to bring others down, or even prevent those who are seeking to come to God from drawing near to him by the words we choose to say or the way we act, or simply because we're concerned about what we will get out of it, our own personal prestige. Jesus says, be like children. Be like children. Hold out your hand and I will lead you forward. You say go. I go over there, Micah. Go and pick that up. He, he runs around, picks it up. Yeah? It's the same for us. God says go. Without question, we go. He says do. Without question, we do. That is why I like Hebrews when it talks about those um, people of faith. It points back in the Old Testament, like the Abraham, who you know, God said to him, just go. He didn't know where he was going, but he went anyway. That's what we're meant to be, church. We're not meant to have all the answers. We're not meant to have all the whole, the whole plan or structure in place. If God says, go, we go. What is the biggest 
commission he did, he said, go into all the world and preach the news. Preach the good news. Make disciples of all nations. That's our mandate as a church. There's a community out there. As Ruth was sharing from our zone days, like, what do we see? What do we see? We go and serve. I think it's so easy as a church, it's easy to think that we've got it all together. Go into the world and be like, you know, look at us. You need to be like us. We've got it all together. Look at the church. Look, we're so great. Look at us. Look at you down there. What are you doing? You need to come here. I think even as a church, we need to have that childlike mandate. It'd be like, I see you. I hear you. I'm going to come alongside you and walk with you. Just a thought. So what is our posture? What is our posture? In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, you see again a similar scenario, a request of the mother of James and John to Jesus that they would sit either side of Christ. And Jesus called the disciples, them all together, Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. As Christ's ambassadors, that's our call. To serve. To be willing to lay down our lives, that means it's not to live for ourselves, but live for him. Our God, our King. Jesus was highlighting that in the world, people promote themselves over others, often getting positions of leadership. But what he does reveal is that in his kingdom, this is the other way around. To be great is to serve. To be great is to serve. And this is the posture the church is to have, to live out and demonstrate, but then go and show the world. We first must need to learn to serve one another to be there for one another, to serve each other. That's why we said it time and time again about the church of many parts. Like Paul's body analogy in his letter to the Corinthians, the body has many parts. And we all have a part to play. And then when we serve together, it just it brings a wholeness. We are all benefiting from what each other offers. But then we're not meant to keep it to ourselves. We're meant to bring it out into our community and show them. Show them the way. Proclaim the way. Lead them in the way. So what is our posture? Are we seeking to elevate ourselves? Are we just aiming for the end goal? To have our known name far and wide by many? 
Or are we seeking further how best we can serve God and one another humbly in love? For me, that's the greatest calling. Serving one another humbly in love. Teach me, God, how I can serve your church and the people in our community humbly in love. Now, when I see my neighbor, I don't ignore them. I engage with them. Now, when I see someone in the, in the street that may be upset or distraught, I don't ignore them. I engage with them. Serve humbly in love. And like I said, my goal, my personal goal, is to always be teachable. I don't want to be here and say, I have all the answers. I don't. If I said I had all the answers, you would all say, you don't have all the answers. <laughs> I want to be teachable. And I'm reminded of Solomon like in 2 Chronicles. And it's one of the only situations in 2 Chronicles 1. It's the, one of the only situations where you read where God asks, what do you want me to do for you? Whatever you want, I will do it. One of the only situations we read this. Solomon recognized the enormity of the calling upon his life and so asked for wisdom beyond, beyond his years to fulfill the God-given calling upon his life instead of exalting himself high above anyone else. Wisdom. How much more do we need the wisdom and discernment of God? What is your posture? What are you seeking God for? Are you willing to serve as he instructs? To humbly serve one another in love? It's a challenge. Like I said, Jonah, when we looked at him, he neglected his ambassadorial calling. You and I are... A, who believe in Jesus, we are ambassadors of the King, the great I am in this world. Are we going to live out that ambassadorial calling, serving one another humbly in love, seeking God, saying, God, show me the way to go. That's one of the prayers that have been in my heart the last this last year, since I think it's Psalm 143, I think, don't hold me to it, but where it says, show me the way to go, for to you I lift up my life, I entrust my life. Are we willing to be like children again? Children before God allowing his word to lead us forward. It's going to challenge us. There are things in this world and it's gonna, we're going to wrestle with. Should I think this? Should I do that? Hold on to his word. It is a challenge. It is a challenge to mind our posture. And I'm, we all have to be honest. I have to be honest with myself sometimes and recognize when my posture is not right. When am I going to get out of this? What am I going to, when, you know, 
achieve this, achieve that, and then suddenly it's almost like a conviction comes in heart, and God is saying, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And then I have to approach him and say, and repent, and be, Lord, I'm sorry. May you guide me in the right way. May you guide me in the right step. Because I want to live for you. I'm so thankful for the last, I don't know how long it's been, 15 years since I gave my life to God and the journey he's taken me on. Has it been easy? Has it all been all roses? No. It's been hard. It's been difficult. I've made mistakes. I've learned through them. But sometimes we need to look back and see what God has done to encourage us to keep moving forward in him. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.